Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed, and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. <coughs> the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, um, we're in John chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. Or if you have the uh, uh, handout, the bulletin, you can follow along. Uh, that This is the scripture we're going to um, engage with. So this morning, all of us here, we need to decide whether we're going to listen to John the Baptist's testimony in this message because here's what is at stake. In John chapter 1, verses 33, John said, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, namely God, said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist plainly says, my testimony about Jesus does not come from what I know about him naturally, it comes from God. God told me what to say about Jesus. Now, here's the big idea. You don't have to believe that. But if you're wrong, you may miss the way of truth and life entirely. So I appeal to you all this morning to make your judgment on the basis of understanding and not on the basis of ignorance. Because... There's a lot at stake this morning. God has you here in this building for a reason. You can know if John is telling the truth, but in order to know, you need to listen to what he has to say. Our text says, and this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny but he, and he did not deny, he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice 
I am the voice of one who cries out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet, Elijah, uh, prophet Isaiah said. Now, the dictionary definition, or the dictionary defines wilderness as an uncultivated, as an uninhabited, as an inhospitable region. Or it can be a neglected or an abandoned area in a place that should not be neglected, in a place that should not be abandoned within a city or a town, such as a slum or a vacant block of land or an alleyway or a dumping ground. And all of that translates into any position or any position of disfavour. That could be in a political context. That could be in a business context. It also could be in the context of a relationship or in the context of a friendship that is inhospitable and dried up. An emotional wilderness this morning, a no man's land. Now we've all been there. We've been lost for an hour. We've been lost for a day or for a very long time in, in hospitable places. We've felt neglected. We've felt abandoned. And in those times, uh, our lives were no more than a vacant block of land full of discarded items from life's empty attempts. Can anyone put their hand up and say, Oh me. Eh? Yeah. However, the Bible considers the wilderness a holy place, a place where God and angels may be found. Moses and his people spent 40 years in the wilderness. Most of them didn't like it. Some of them longed for the pleasures of Egypt as they wandered through the strange and unknown wilds. It felt inhospitable to them most of the time. They couldn't count on anything other than the grace of God. The Bible tells us that, the, that by morning and by evening, the dew, the manna of heaven came down. But that miracle of God did not make the wilderness their home. Also, the word of God came to them there in, in that inhospitable region, in that wild world. The word of God came to them. The word of God came to them in tablets of commands which they prayed for. The word of God came in Moses' wrath, which they had not prayed for when, when, when they were found worshipping idols. And in a myriad of other times, when they sought God's guidance, God's word came to them in the wilderness. The wilderness was fruitful with holiness for them, as it had been for Abraham, as it had been for Sarah, as it had been for Elijah at the brook of Cherith. And it would be also a, 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 a wilderness of fruitfulness for Ezekiel in, in the exile in the slums of Babylon. So when John goes out into the wilderness, donning his camel skin and eating locusts and wild honey, he knows that the holy will be there. The holy is there. John knows he's not alone there. Whereas in Jerusalem, he had been in the darkness of disfavor and had found no light in that place. So John lifts his voice, the voice that drew thousands upon thousands into the wilderness to hear him, the voice that held the power of an angel and spoke the power to become a child of God. In this gospel, the gospel of John, John is not the Baptist because it is not recorded in the gospel that he baptized Jesus. Rather, 
He is John the witness because he bears witness to the advent of Jesus. John chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 it says he came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light but he came to testify to the light. John 1 26 to 27 says among you stands one you do not know the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. So let me make a confession this morning. I've always been confused by what the adult John the Baptist or John the Witness is doing in Advent. I feel that we should have the adult Elizabeth in Advent, in whose womb the unborn John leaps for joy when Elizabeth heard the greeting from her relative Mary who was carrying the unborn Jesus in her womb. I think that would make a better Advent text. That would make things a bit more Christmassy, wouldn't it? However, let's stick with the adult John the Baptist or John the Witness as the Gospel of John calls him for a moment and let's, make, let's take him as the model for what we as Christ followers are supposed to be essentially in this Advent season leading up to Christmas and that is a witness, a witness, a witness to the coming of Jesus and the emergent inbreaking of the kingdom of God in, in Jesus' birth, in Jesus' life, in Jesus' death and in his resurrection. If we take John as our role, if we take John as our Advent example, then we are not to focus our minds on the worldly preparations for Christmas, but on the work of God. If John the witness is our model, then we are the bearer of witness to the coming of Jesus and the work of God through his birth and through his life and through his death and resurrection. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So, my friends, we are not spectators. We are not audience members. We are witnesses. We are witnesses to the gospel. There are no other witnesses. That is what Paul has taught us. There are no other witnesses. We are the witnesses to the gospel. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And at times, it does feel like we are standing in the wilderness in the barren place compared to the flesh pots of Egypt, compared to all the glitter and shiny things of this world. However, for the godly, the wilderness is a place of fruitfulness and a place of holiness, a place where we stand separated from the things of this world and, we, and, and pointing to Christ, being born of a virgin who, who went out calling the outcast, who went out calling and healing the broken and forgiving sins, being crucified by empire, dying, 
rising again and giving us victory over death. This is the good news that we are witness to, the witness to. This is good news indeed this morning. John in Advent is a witness to Christ. John the Baptist points the way, though he was not the light himself. John is totally and truly a model for us as Christians. So let's make Let's take on his attitude this morning. Let's take on his posture and his attitude this morning. So let's think about that. John developed a great audience and power, but he also knew his role. He was a messenger. He was not the message. He was the messenger. He baptized with water, but one was coming that, that would baptize with the power of fire, he says. John was not about boasting. John was not about bragging. He knew there was a point where he would decrease and Jesus would increase. So, my friends, we are not the light, but we point towards the light that enlightens us. Francis of Assisi said these words. He said, we are the moon reflecting the rays of the sun from our surface. The light that shines from us may be great, and it should be great, as we allow more of ourselves to be open to the true light of Christ. But the source of the light is still Christ. We are but an instrument of reflection. Sadly, in the world we live in, much of the pain and the suffering around us comes from people imagining that they are the light themselves. So in thinking about the light and the darkness within us, in thinking about the godly motives and the worldly motives that dwell within us, there's a massive spiritual, spiritual danger in trying to live only in our own light, in trying to live in the light of our own self-righteousness. The spiritual danger comes from the shadows that such a self-righteous light casts. Self-righteousness uh, represses the things we don't want to know about ourselves. That's what self-righteousness does, which creates a dangerous shadow within us. In our attempt to be children of light, we often repress and try to hide from ourselves our greed, our selfishness, our hostility, our vanity and our pain. We push these things from our conscious selves but they will rise up in our unconscious and control us. Someone said these words, good does not become better by, by being exaggerated, but worse. And a small evil becomes a big one through being disregarded and repressed. That which we dislike in ourselves, we first repress. Then we project it onto others and try to kill it. If you don't believe this, try this simple test. Monitor for one week what most angers you in the behaviour of others. Reflect on whether any of these same qualities lie within your heart also. So often the things that we really don't like about ourselves are what angers us the most when we see it in somebody else. And this is why Jesus counselled people to remove the log out of their own eye before they try and take the speck out of somebody else's eye. Our shadow selves 
cause us to rise up in righteous indignation at the action of others rather than looking within so that we might change and so that we might grow. So what does all this have to do with Advent? What does my self-righteous nature have to do with Advent? Well, I'm glad you asked. Good does not become better by being exaggerated. It becomes worse. And Francis of Assisi said, we are the moon reflecting the rays of the sun from our surface. We are not the light. Only Jesus is the true light that enlightens the whole world. But just as John the Baptist, we are called to be a witness to that true light. We are called to reflect the eternal light of Jesus in and through our words and our actions. So my Advent challenge to you this week is to be like John the Baptist and be the moon. Be the moon. The moon has only one mission in life and that is to reflect the light of the sun. And that's all the moon does. It reflects the sunlight. If you and I are to follow the model of John the Witness, then and only then are we supposed to be the moon for God. Our mission in life is to reflect the light of God's Son. Jesus is the light which came into this world. So when you look to the night sky this Advent and you see the moon, remember your mission. When you look at the moon this Advent, consider whether or not any of this world's dangerous shadows, such as greed, selfishness, hostility, vanity, unforgiveness, are any of these things blocking God's sunlight, blocking God's light? If we are not full moons, then it's time to repent, beloved. It's time to repent and rededicate our lives to God. The moon reminds us that it's our job to light the path that leads to the cross of Jesus. The moon reminds us that, that, that it's our duty to reflect the light of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, no shadows of turning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we lift our hearts to you to thank you for the blessings you shower upon us each day. You are the joy of our souls. We know that in, in your great love, we are held and protected by you. We pray and listen to the good news you send. We ask and feel the healing. We are freed by you from the things that this world lets, lets uh, the, 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 the freed from the things this world that, that, that lets us hide from you. We rejoice in our very souls that this season helps us to prepare our hearts to be open and receive your immense love. And all this we pray and we lift up to you in the good and mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.